as I was thinking about my blackness and who I am, um, I was thinking about the the legacy I wanted to leave behind, specifically to my children. Um, and it struck me um, that I I don't want my children to think that they have to straighten their hair or tame anything. And I was like, Alana, how do you expect your children to want to embrace being natural if you're not natural yourself? I just want money in the bank. Have no time for them. We just pray and say amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Walt, and I'm the host of Boss Locks, a show where we are redefining professionalism, elevating black voices, and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, we do this by speaking with black leaders, CEOs, professionals, and just really dope people who are doing some amazing things and really creating like a larger impact on society. Now, today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Alana Jameson. Alana, how are you doing today? I'm feeling great. How are you, Walt? I'm doing really good. Really good. It's Friday, and I'm just really happy to be here. So, Yep, we're present. We are present. Alana is the founder of Kit Strategies, which is a customer experience consultancy firm. It's a so she basically helps others discover how to create happiness in their business processes and ultimately create a better customer experience overall. And really that sounds like one thing, but it involves a lot of different things as well. You know, she's worked across a lot of different um, industries with some startup companies, bigger companies, really just everything in between. So a lot of questions for uh, your career journey and a few other things that you've um, gone through in your personal journey as well. But to start it all off, I have one question for you. What is it? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> it is, um, what are three things that most people don't know about you? Um, so I'd say the first is I am really into space and deep sea. So obviously love earth, but I'm very intrigued with what's going above and below. So you will always see me at night on my like night sky app, seeing if it's a star, if it's a planet. Um, I love learning more about that. Um, also I'm very into candles and incense. I'm all about curating your space. So right now I have sandalwood burning for grounding. So very into that. I think the last thing, um, when I'm reading, I love reading about autobiographies. Um, I love being able to understand someone's story. So, um, those are always my go-to books. Oh, cool. Very nice. So you said, um, you have a sandalwood candle and that helps with grounding. Yeah, it's an instant. So oh, I, okay. yeah. Oh, that's cool. How, uh, what, what else do you kind of use for um, sense or just creating a kind of nice atmosphere in your home? Yeah. So I'm big on like working with my hands to build things too. Um, so I'm all about like self care. Um, I created a, I unsuccessfully created a <laughs> face cream the other day. I was like, I'm going to whip a body butter. I know I can do it. Um, it didn't go so great, um, but all about like getting into oils and um, natural care for me is great. And learning that there's so much power from just ingredients that were just given to us and we can craft that together is big for me. Yeah, I'm 100% with that. I know uh, my dad actually, We when I was living with him in Charlotte, we started creating our own body butters. And everything. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool experience because you really get to choose which oils and butters you add in to create something that works best for you. Yeah. Like, one is just like feels good to be able to make something with your head and then we actually apply it and you like it better than the stuff in the store. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. all about yeah. it. Yes. What did you put in your uh, concoction? So you have to have your standard coconut oil. Um, I put some um, coconut butter in there, mm-hmm. mango butter. Um, I'm also getting into peppermint too, to bring that little refreshing scent to it. Um, and then what else did I put in there? And I think I put a little bit of grapeseed and olive oil. So all those nourishing oils in there. Okay. And it's not for the hair. I was like, I'm going to have a great leave-in conditioner. It's not working for that. Um, but you know what? It's a great face cream. That's what's up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get into like, um, better face care outside. Who was it? I think it was on LeBron's The Shop. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, he has like a lot of people who come in and just talk, um, just really about all sorts of topics. And it was Travis Scott and Pharrell were in there in one episode. And he was just like, yo, I always wonder, like, what does Pharrell do to look so young? Yeah. And he was like, yo, I just exfoliate. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's it? So I'm really trying to put together my steps to make sure, like, I'm looking Pharrell young whenever I get to, because he's, I don't know how old he is, but. He's in his he's 40s and he looks 40s. great. Right? He looks, he looks great. Day. Sunscreen. Sunscreen is a key. Sunscreen at every age. Shout out to Black Girl Sunscreen. Available in Target. Available online. I'm starting to incorporate that every day. So get the sunscreen in. I have a lot of mixed feelings about sunscreen. Like I was like the one prime when I was younger growing up. Like, yeah, I'm black. I don't need I don't need sunscreen. Uh And I hate the smell of it too, but I've heard that from a few other people that black people actually do need to wear sunscreen. It's not sure about do. the sunburn, but everything else when it comes to like uh, like skin cancer, mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm still I'm still a little resistant, but I'm I'm starting to learn a little bit more about sunscreen. And I appreciate you coming to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'm trying to look young at fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I thought it was really interesting. Um, so you're really into space and the deep sea. Cause I think like, especially the deep sea, like mm-hmm. I always say, you know, Atlantis, that's underwater Wakanda. We just have to find Absolutely. it. Absolutely. We're there. Yeah, we're there. <laughs> and I always just wonder, like, there's so much we don't know. And there's so many myths about these underwater sea creatures. Um, can you share a little bit more about some of your fascination with the deep sea and like, what, what is it that makes you so like curious about it? Mm-hmm. So I guess another thing that not everyone would know about me is I went to school and majored in biology. um, And I didn't want to necessarily become a doctor, go into the health field. I just really love science. I love learning about how things work, which I guess now translates into um, my current career path. But I'm just really fascinated with the operations of things. Um, So for me to know that the ocean um, comprises most of the world and we only know such a fraction of it is so interesting to me. So I love, um, watching deep sea videos, seeing the creatures, seeing how life survives on like just minimal food and nutrients down there. It just blows my mind. So I'm really big into like marine science, marine life and deep sea. And like you said, the, the underwater Wakanda is there. So it's there. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating too. Like if you think about, um, they say, hmm, I wasn't like the best like science student, but like basically like everything kind of came from like underwater sea creatures, like mm-hmm. life in general, just the whole evolution of it. Even dinosaurs all came from there. So it's just so mm-hmm. interesting. Like if everything came from underwater, we just don't really know that much about underwater. Like we, we always talk about space, but like we don't even know what's like yeah. <laughs> on our own planet just yet. Yeah. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, a few weekends ago, my partner and I, we went to um, a Museum of Fine Arts out here. And it was basically, it was an underwater, like a Egyptian city. And oh. they just been covering relics. So that's all on display out here. So you see um, things made of bronze and gold that have just been underwater and just now recovered. So to me, it's like, this is a city that existed hundreds of years ago, just now emerging or just us now being able to find it. Who knows what else is down there? So I love wow. that. that yeah. So yeah. That just, that just makes me wonder like what all, like just from a history standpoint, like life down there, that's, that's mm-hmm. fascinating. Yep. All right, cool. So um, also I'm curious, like what, what have you learned about space? Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, um, my dad, I know he bought us a telescope and from there I was hooked basically off of like his fascination with space. Um, mm-hmm. So just to be in, a, in, a, in an environment that's so vast, right? The earth is such a tiny part of the solar system. So to me, just being, our story is just something so small and something that's so vast is so interesting to me. Um, so exploring if there's life out there, which I believe there is, um, seeing the constellations and, and the enormity of everything just really blows my mind. Um, so I think I'm just really fascinated with large, undiscovered problems and things and systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so amazing. And it's very humbling too, to know that you know, whatever you're going through in a moment, it's just such a small piece of this larger construct of life. Um, I think it's very grounding to me to know if I'm in my head, I can just look up, take a breath and know there's so much more out there. Um, it definitely helps me. I like that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Like kind of like mm-hmm. everything that's going on. I think one thing I know that I experience is like this tunnel vision in regards to work, but also just like what's happening around, especially like this summer and this whole year, it's very intense. And it's kind of like our whole world, like this is our life, but that's a good point. Like this is only like a small fraction compared to like what all is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Now, um, so I want to touch on the third thing you mentioned, like autobiographies. Um, mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. would you say are your top three autobiographies mm-hmm. that you've uh, read or at least watch however you consume them mm-hmm. so it's difficult me for for me to ever call out my favorites because I'm just so in the moment impulsive so I don't really keep a ranking of favorites but I'll say um, what got me back into like reading consistently um, was um, Michelle Obama's uh, biogra- autobiography becoming um, I thought that was an excellent story to have someone that we were, she was in front of our face this entire time, but to really read it from her perspective, um, to hear about her journey was amazing. Um, I read Gabrielle Union's autobiography, um, I think Winnie More Wine. Um, so that was great to me because I've seen this woman on film since I was a kid. I remember seeing her in Bring It On and wanting to be that cheerleader um, and to hear her story was super impactful. Um, and I want to read uh, Malala's autobiography as well. I haven't had a chance to read about her, um, but just hearing her story and what she's overcome and the pathways that she's opening up um, for other women um, is is so amazing. So that's definitely on the list. Hmm. And for those who don't know, who is uh, Malala? Sure. Um, she was actually shot uh, by the Taliban 
um, uh, because she was trying to get more education. She was very outspoken. Um, and she's now fighting for education for women um, and has used her platform in such an amazing way. I'm so happy that she was blessed with life to be able to come back and, you know, to not say, hey, I'm scared. I'm going to, you know, hide away and live a low key life. But she's taken on a whole new path and says, yeah, you did that. And I'm still here. So come That's at me. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. That's right. A shout out to her. Yeah. It's really, um, amazing, not only to go through that, but be able to identify that your story could help other people. Mm -hmm. I think, um, that's oftentimes kind of underrated, but stories really, I feel like, move people more than like lessons. And really, stories are kind of lessons all captured in and delivered in an interesting, like captivating way. Like I know um, back before there was really writings, people used stories and songs to share lessons and a lot of like the mythology too. So that's mm -hmm. really cool. It'd be really interesting, like years from now, just to see how she and really all three of the women you mentioned um, have impacted everyone. Mm -hmm. And there's so much power in our story. And I think that in the day-to-day, -day, we might lose sight of that, that if I haven't accomplished something or if I haven't made X amount of money, then my story isn't impactful. Um, so reading about different men and women and what they've gone through, um, you think someone's path has gone a certain way, but you don't really know like their story until you really just sit down and listen. And, you know, it inspires me because when I look at people, that's the first thing I think about is not, you know, color or, um, demeanor, but like, what's your story? What have you gone through to make you react this way? It helps bring a little bit more humanity back to people. That's a good point. I like that because it's really um, everything we think and how we know and how we walk and behave and enter the world. It's not just like a flip of a switch. Like there's things that really factored into this, all these different life moments that brought us all to who we are today. That's a good mm -hmm. point. What is your story? So let's um, get a little bit more into your story. Um, now you mentioned you majored in biology. Do you remember what led you to that decision to choose that major in college? Yeah. So um, in middle school, I had a seventh grade biology teacher, Mr. Anderson, um, and he taught with such conviction um, to where the whole class, whether you know or not you really loved science or were doing well on tests, you had to love how he taught it. Um, so that got me really captured. Um, I was so interested in the way he presented the material that, um, my eighth grade year, I ended up TAing for his class, you know, being able to grade the tests and help him out, like stocking materials and things like that. Um, and the way that he spoke about science was great to me. And I found out that he had taught at Pepperdine and he would always tell me about Pepperdine and like her little obsessions. And so ever since middle school, it was ingrained in me like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll probably just go to Pepperdine. That's where Mr. A taught at. Um, so when I, you know, went through high school, um, I didn't have this long collegiate list that I wanted to go to because it was in my spirit that, oh, I just go to Pepperdine. And by the grace I got in um, and science still stuck with me throughout all those years, and I said, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I don't necessarily have a career path in mind, but I knew it was something that I love to learn about. Um, mm. And I, in general, I just love learning. So I said, we're just going to do this thing. And it was real hard. 
Um, but I loved it. And the people that I met um, along that journey, the mentors that I gained, um, I mean, you can't, you can't count that out. That's cool. Well, shout out to Mr. Yeah. Anderson. Yes. And middle school too. That's very impactful to carry that, that energy stayed with you from middle school all the way through college. That's pretty awesome. It's, and it, it was probably also when there was Girl Scout cookie time, he always had Thin Mints. And so oh. when I would grade the test, he'd have the frozen <laughs> ones too. Oh. So I was like, oh, Mr. A, what a treat. Right? <laughs> he knew what he was doing. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. That's cool. So um, let's see, st- majoring in biology, um, mm-hmm. do you remember what it was like for you graduating college? and mm-hmm. beginning to enter into the workforce like what was um because i know that's like a really just pivotal time for everyone in their life like the end of school and i was like okay entering into the workforce and kind of deciding like what can i do in my major or what can i just do to get a job right now um do you remember kind of what kind of the thoughts and experiences you were having at that time mm-hmm Um, so I remember graduation very well because, um, I always say it was my mom and I, we both graduated. So out of the family, I was the first one to graduate out of, you know, all the cousins and everything like that. Um, and my mom supported me, um, insurmountably. Um, I can't even express how much she was there for me financially being able to afford, um, like $60,000 a year. Um, but also just emotionally holding it down for me, um, you know, those long nights of studying for finals and, um, going through like social drama and just becoming a woman, um, having my mom's guidance was everything to me. So, um, graduation was more for her than for me because it was like, you've invested all of these resources into me. You've been there for me. Um, I did this for us. You helped this journey. So, um, I always remember um, at my school, we had a, a multicultural graduation. Um, and I remember the picture that a friend had took of me hugging my mom. And that's what I think of, of my graduation, not on stage, but just like me and my mom, like we did that. Um, so that's always special to me. Um, I'll say I, the way my, I, I think about things and process things, when I was thinking about going into the workforce, um, I've always had this vision of, whatever I end up doing, I know I'm going to be fine. Um, I couldn't tell you I was going to go out and be a consultant like other people or an accountant, but I knew whatever I was going to do eventually, I'd be financially taken care of and I'd be great. Um, So I'd say I had a little bit less worry than um, maybe the typical person. Um, But I will say uh, once you actually get into the job search Um, routine and trying to figure out, okay, you have this degree, you don't want to be a doctor, like, what are you doing? People asking you those questions, what do you want to be? What are you going to go into? Um, After a few months of job searching, there's this period of um, anxiety, um, questioning yourself, questioning worth, what am I doing with my life? What am I going to do? And it's something that's so unfortunate to have someone, students that have gone through four years of really working, you know, themselves out to come out and be like, okay, yeah, what am I supposed to do after I've invested all this money and this time? Um, so I'd say the, the periods up to my first, getting my first job, I was very anxious and 
very self-conscious about, okay, what is, what is this thing called life? What do I do now? What's the next step? Mm -hmm. Man, I think that is so real. You really brought me back to uh, <laughs> my job search after college. And I think it took me, let's see, May, June, August. I got my first job and started in August. So I was like three months after I graduated, but those three months were just intense and crazy and um, also part of the reason I ended up starting Boss Locks because I was at this place, like I was getting some interviews and stuff and some interest, but I was all like my hair playing a factor on whether or not they want to hire me or not. Really just ultimately like my blackness in general, because, you know, you're, I was interviewing around Charlotte and I think really just most places is you're going to be in like white environments. You always just wonder as well. Um so that's cool. Um, when when you were in the job interviews, did you? Well, actually, another question. Um, mm -hmm. when did you start your um, natural hair journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually want to um, address what you said first about addressing like wide environments, how you'll be presented, and then um, talk about my journey. So for me, I've kindergarten through eighth grade. I went to the same school. It's a private private school. I was with everybody. Um, every culture was represented. So to me, I had friends from all over. My best friend was Thai and I thought nothing of it because that's what I'd always seen. Um, and then after middle school, I had just been in white spaces. So, um, I went to high school at Miracosta in Manhattan beach, um, predominantly white, um, getting used to that environment was interesting to me. I sought out the Black Student Association as soon as possible to find a little bit of me and representation and um, just a change from that monotony. Um, and then Pepperdine is also predominantly white. So um, throughout my developmental years, I was just in white spaces. Um, so for me, I think it was a bit easier to transition because that's all I had seen and known and I knew how to operate in that environment. Um, so I can only imagine for folks that that's just not what you saw all the time. Um, it's a bit of a shock, but I had almost, I mean, those are my developmental years. So that's just all that I saw. So I was like, okay, yep. Same old, same old. Just the next phase. Right? <laughs> just the next phase. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when it comes to natural hair journey, um, I'd say everything changed when I moved to DC and that's when I transitioned to go natural. Um, so I remember the first time I asked for my hair to get straightened, I was in, I believe, third grade. And um, I was becoming, you know, growing Alana, at least in my mind. And um, I, I just thought straight hair was beautiful. That's what all my Barbie dolls had. That's what I saw on TV. Um, I didn't want to just wear my little pigtails that my mom put in my head. I wanted to have straight hair. So I remember my mom said, okay, we'll straighten your hair. And from there, um, it was just a constant for me. Um, back in the day we had the, the hot comb that you put it on the stove and the flat iron that you heated up on the stove. Um, so that's how I consistently had my hair done, um, up until high school. I'd say my sophomore year, I then transitioned to, um, having the electric straightener and then going to the hair salon, um, having a black woman do my hair there. Um, and I continued that throughout college. I learned how to do my own hair. And um, it was really this, I think the un misunderstanding with natural hair is it, I was scared of my hair. 
when I was growing up, you know, you get told you don't have a good grade of hair. Your hair is nappy and it needs to be tamed. So um, even the fact of putting it in braids, it's to hide the kinks and the curls. I remember wanting to like wear my hair out, but, you know, understanding that that was unmanageable. Um, so I think I felt a lot of trauma from that time of only understanding like, Alana, you don't have a good grade of hair. So you have to do these things to manage it. Um, I'll say that definitely changed when I transitioned to DC um, because shout out to Chocolate City, shout out to all the beautiful natural women um, who are so confident in who they are and their hair texture. Um, that changed my perspective. Um, I moved in um, with my best friend Miriam and she's natural. Um, and I'd say seeing her being able to manage her hair and actually seeing the products that she was able to use that I just honestly didn't know about. All I knew was, okay, you put a little bit of oil in the hair, you blow dry it and you straighten it. Um, that helped me a lot be able to transition. But also um, as I was thinking about my blackness and who I am, um, I was thinking about the, the legacy I wanted to leave behind specifically to my children. Um, and it struck me um, that I, I don't want my children to think that they have to straighten their hair or tame anything. And I was like, Alana, how do you expect your children to want to embrace being natural if you're not natural yourself? Um, so when I started asking myself those questions, I was like, okay, let me just take the plunge. Let me like uncover what I had hidden for so long. Um, and I remember I had started a job and I was maybe like two or three weeks in and I was like, forget it. I'm going to wash my hair. I'm going to Ask Miriam, okay, what products do I need to use, girl? And I wore my hair curly for the first time in, gosh, who, who knows how long. And it was so empowering for me to be able to see myself and not see this unruly mess, but something that was beautiful, being able to embrace wearing my hair big and curly. Um, that was such an, a powerful moment for me because I didn't feel enslaved by having to, to manipulate what was already there, something that was already beautiful. Man, I love that. Yeah. But, um, I liked what you were saying about the legacy and the hair and how that really, um, kind of the symbolism with that for like your children and the next wave and everything. And it really fits to kind of what you were saying earlier about there being like the, the bigger picture, really seeing it from all of that. So um, do you remember kind of what, exactly was triggering those thoughts or um, maybe not triggering, but some of the thoughts that make you even think about uh, your children and what it would mean to see, for um, your children to see you and how you present yourself? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you get into relationships and you're like, okay, I need to start thinking about like settling down or that's where your mind is shifting towards. So as I was thinking about like, what are my ideals like for a family and what I want to represent and what I want to bring, um, hair obviously comes up. Um, so I just remember thinking like, I, you know, I see all these examples of beautiful black women wearing their hair natural. I definitely want to express that to my children. You know, you can be natural, you can be empowered. And I, again, just being in spaces that allowed that and accepted that. Um, so it just made me think how hypocritical it would be for me to say, you can't experiment with your hair, I want you to stay natural if I'm here straightening and curling my hair and still subscribing to this beauty ideal 
um, that has been ingrained for me from trauma. Um, also at the time, I think I was really in a place of examining where insecurities came from um, and being able to resolve that within myself. So um, I would hate to pass along any trauma that I had from my childhood to my children, to my friends, to anyone around me. Um, so I think that was the train of thinking when I was um, deciding to transition to natural. Very cool. Yeah. Right. So that actually reminds me of something um, we we talked about before um, mm -hmm. about you kind of discovering that you um, were kind of tied to the Nigerian culture and everything. And I think about that in regards to like what you mentioned about your hair and kind of taming it and just overall, mm -hmm. I feel like taking that step to discover where your ancestry lies is like another step of untaming your blackness. Cause that, I think one thing that a lot of us are missing is like that connection um, to mm -hmm. where we came from. And regardless how, of how accurate these ancestry tests are, I think it's really cool to really, just have something that shows you that points you to a direction, even if it's not the exact point, but just start giving you some direction to that. Um, so do you remember what led you to actually taking the ancestry test? Mm -hmm. So I'd been thinking about it for a while, again, embracing being natural, embracing truly being African, because um, that's not something that is taught in school. Like you don't see um, black individuals as empowered. You see them as enslaved and then history goes on, right? And that's all they were. Um, so I think as I was coming into my own and discovering and embracing African heritage and what black people have really done, um, it was important for me to figure out, okay, where am I from? Um, I have, you know, a lot of friends who know, okay, my family comes from, like Miriam, her family comes from Senegal, I was, you know, dating people who were from Nigeria, were able to identify their tribe and their lineage. I think there's so much power in knowing where you're from, giving you guidance to where you want to go. So for me, it was never a thought of, I'm not going to do this. It was just a, a thought of like, when am I going to do it? Um, and there was a sale. So I said, okay, let's, let's do it. It'll be a, it'll be a birthday gift to you because I had done the test. I want to say in June, because they say allow um, several weeks for processing and my birthday is in August. So I said, this would be a great gift to myself. Um, and so that was the reason I wanted to discover my ancestry. And so then when I saw the results, um, <laughs> I remember I was visiting a friend in Scotland and I was waking up from a nap. I saw my phone. I saw ancestry was so hyped to open it. And when I saw Nigerian all I could do was laugh because I had dated a lot of Nigerian uh, men in the past. And I was like, okay, here's the link. This is what draws me back. <laughs> it, it comes from, it comes from the homeland. Um, so yeah. So for me, it's all about understanding where you're from to really be able to embrace where you're going um, and to really find home in that. So that was so powerful for me. I want to take a quick break to give you a little behind the scenes on what's to come for Boss Logs. Now, for starters, we're going to start producing some more content to elevate black voices and hear some insane stories from black leaders who are doing some big things. 
Um, now, some of these are going to be public events that you could tune into on LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube. And I mean, like, live events, like live live. So, all the mistakes and everything more you will see in person firsthand. Um, but some of the others will be private events that you could only um, experience if you're part of the Boss Lock Village or the Working Wild Black Facebook groups. If you're not already signed up, now is the time to get in before you miss out. Now, um, speaking of the village, if you want to support this podcast and my journey, the best way to do this is by signing up for the Boss Locks Village. You know, not only is it a place for private shows, but it's also a place to get behind the scenes content and see everything that I'm doing to grow the brand. So if you want to support our show, my journey, and get access to these private events, please visit the, the, um, the link in the description to go directly to our patreon page the boss locks village now um last but not least everyone please go out and vote it's already now open for early voting and i think for the most of us you know there's no point in waiting uh polls are open now this it's this election is also bigger than trump or biden you know um i know on the georgia ballot there's a bill on there that basically will determine if we could sue the government if they make laws that are unconstitutional. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that is big, especially uh, with everything happening in the past two years. Um, there have been laws and ideas and things have been pushed that we all kind of view as um, going against our human rights. So I think that it's, regardless how you feel about the president candidates, how we got to them, and what we think they'll do over the next four years. Um, there are so many other things that are going on that need our attention, from Senates to Congress uh, men and women to um, things like the bill I just mentioned. So please, you know, go out and vote. And I want to see all of those I voted stickers popping up on the gram, Facebook, and text them to me too. You know, I, I want to see that y'all voted and. You know, early voting just means that you won't have to wait six hours in line um, in the middle of COVID to press a few buttons. So try to get out there this week, next week, and, you know, let's let's make things happen, man. Now, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I could go on and go on, but I want to actually get back into our interview. So um, thank you for listening and, um, you know, back to our show. So um, I'd like to transition a little bit into your uh, career journey, because I think you've had an mm -hmm. interesting one being at um, multiple different companies, industries, and I like how you kind of labeled it as being industry agnostic. So um, mm -hmm. to start it off, can you explain a little bit more about what it means to you to be industry agnostic? Yeah. Um, so for me, it is someone who, it doesn't matter if you're working in beauty and you transition to something in technology, um, your, your role is still relevant um, and you're still able to learn and thrive in different environments. Um, and that's something that's been very specific for me and something that I've actually had to embrace to keep myself sane um, because I've hopped around to a few different companies and I've always just, I've, I've been trying to find my thing, my, my niche, like what, what do I do best? Um, and how do I make a career and a living out of that? Um, and it was difficult for me at a point to figure out, okay, like, should I work in healthcare? Should I stay in that? Should I, you know, um, do something in technology? Like, what is that one title, that one role that's going to fit Alana 
that I can raise my family on and transition. And I really think it took me um, understanding that a career is not something that you're going to be in forever and, and defines your life um, that really liberated me into finding, okay, I do not work to live or excuse me, I don't live to work. I work to support my lifestyle and I'm interested in lots of things. I love the most random things. So why not find um, some sort of role that's just translatable to different industries? Um, and that's where I fell into customer service, operations, function, um, that's been consistent across different industries. I'm just approaching it um, with a different audience. Hmm. I love that. I remember, so um, let's see, I went to school for business and marketing. My first job out of college was at the startup company. It was in the tech space, but I joined as like a product specialist. It was in customer service and I was definitely feeling some type of way after I think the first like six months really, man, I went to school for to do more in marketing, but ended up in customer service and it took me a long yeah. time. This all can blend together depending on how, like what steps I take and how I look at it. It's really cool. We came to that. Um, and that cu the customer experience is an interesting one. Like, I think like what you learn from being a, um, like a cashier person at a retail store mm -hmm. and just that knowledge of building a customer experience could really affect a whole corporation and everything. So that, like, I think we often look at these jobs as like little or entry level jobs. It's not really, affecting anything, but they have a huge impact and really can shape everything else that happens. Absolutely. Highlight, underline, bold, all of that. <laughs> um, shout out to everybody who has worked in sales, customer experience, customer service. Um, it is such a crucial role to have because again, you're the face of the business. You are <laughs> deploying so many skills, um, time management, operations, um, customer relationships, um, there's so much that goes into having to be the face of a company and address concerns in like this very professional and sweet and kind way. Um, gosh, bless those people. And they, that, that is, those are future leaders. That's where you learn, really learn about a business is being on the front lines and answering those calls and texts and crafting responses and, being able to relay new company changes. I mean, you hit it on the head. Like these people are highly skilled. You know, we've all been through it and you're highly skilled. You're just undervalued. Um, and it's so unfortunate. Man, you, you're, you're so right. That undervalued point is so key. And I just think about everyone going through it like right now in customer service um, during mm -hmm. this COVID stuff. Like I know I've heard stories about people like the whole mask thing, like, People in customer service having to enforce masks and people just going crazy on them, like, oh, I have to wear a mask out the dog, and just like cussing at them and stuff. And they're just like, Yo, yeah, just, you just have to put a mask to walk in here. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's like actually <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stay as long as you want. Just put on a mask, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you touched on professionalism. And one thing that I always like to ask everybody, because I think everyone has a different idea of what it means, but, um, um, anyways, like how, how do you define professionalism? Mm -hmm. For me, um, I think it takes up two parts. So to be professional is you have to be skilled at your job. Um, and I feel like you have to understand how to work with people. So there's this people slash emotional intelligence part of the job. 
and then just skills and competency part of the job. So for me, that makes up um, a professional. I think that professionalism is a triggering word for um, people of color, specifically Black people, because when professionalism is often brought up, it is used against us and to say what we are not. And when we are professional, it means repressing a side of ourselves that doesn't fit um, society's standard of what, like the cookie cutter, hello, how are you doing? This is great part of, of what a professional should be. Um, so it, it's hard to talk about. And I understand it's a term that's always been used against us and to say what we're not. Um, so for me, <laughs> professionalism, can you speak to people and can you do your job well? That makes you a professional. That is the bare bones of what professionalism is. Do you, or what was that first job when you came out of college? Mm -hmm. So the first job I had was for the city of Lawndale. I was a recreation leader. And I was like, thank you, Lord, for this job because a girl needs some money. Um, <laughs> but um, it was it was government job, technically, it was for the city. Um, and I, I was checking in people for classes, um, was cleaning like the gym area, spraying things down. So it was a part-time job. I was like, great. I just, I need to make money. Had some great friends. Wonderful. Um, but, uh, the, the great job after that, which I thought like I hit the, I hit the jackpot. I was scrolling through Craigslist and everybody out there, Craigslist does have some viable jobs. Do not sleep on Craigslist. I was scrolling through and I found this one job that was offering $17 an hour. And I think that was in 2014, 2015. I was like, are you kidding me? I can make almost $18 an hour. This is great. Like I'm, I'm in the money. Um, and it was for a startup. It was for a dry cleaning and laundry startup. And it was for a customer service position. And I was like, mm, okay, sure. Like, why not just go for it? Um, and that really introduced me to the startup world which, you know, when you're in school, you see, okay, you have a cubicle and you have a, a desk and this is what you do and you make copies and you do things like this. And this company was totally opposite. Um, it was an open work plan. So everyone's desk was in the middle. There were people in glass offices to the side who were more executive level. Um, people were having fun, making jo jokes, playing music. The CEO was mad cool. Um, it really blew my mind about like what you think traditional employment is. Um, so I want to say I was so, so lucky to find that ad and to get that job because I was able to bring my full self to work within a couple weeks. I still had to test it out. Like, okay, I'm one of very few black people here. Like, let me see how I need to react. Um, but I remember one day, um, this has been a few weeks in. They were like, okay, Alana, like, do you want to play something on your Pandora? Like, do you want to play music? And I was like, I don't know if y'all are going to like really like my music. <laughs> um, so I started off like with some chill stuff and they're like, oh no, this is, turn it up, keep going. Um, and that's how I knew, okay, I can be me. Um, so I was super fortunate with my first like real big girl job. That's cool. That's so funny. Um, I had a similar experience and um, I was working at a startup and, you know, they always had music playing. And one day yeah. the CEO, or it wasn't the CEO, but the founder is asking, um, like, oh, yeah, do you want to play something? I was like, um, uh, so I was like, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm neutral, kind of still has some culture. Right. Know? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I just stuck with it. I remember one time I mentioned, I was just trying to test the water like, Jay-Z. <laughs> yeah, like, let's mm, see. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, it, it took a minute. I think some other people started playing hip hop first before I did. I was like, okay, cool. I mean, I like your taste, so we'll just rock with it. You you keep doing that. I'll, I'll listen and just <laughs> yeah, you yeah, that. yeah. I wasn't ready to break that mold myself. So yeah, I tell you, that's pretty cool. They were like really feeling it and everything. Yeah, it was yeah. such a good at first job. Nice. So um I know um I think oftentimes like with the early generations, the mindset is to find that job and stick with it, get your four oh one K, just retire at that job, make it a career and everything. But you've chosen to um I guess well, in my mind, you've kind of chosen to follow things that you felt would lead you to kind of your purpose or maybe just a better opportunity for you. So um, you remember kind of your decisions to leave that company and go on to another one and just continuously each time you decided to leave a company, like what was some of the things that came into your mind? So it's funny. I don't know if it's by choice or by force or a culmination of everything, but working in startup environments, sometimes the funding isn't there, it doesn't work out. So from that job, I was actually laid off because we ran out of money. So that was by force for me. But I will say before I knew that we were, you know, shutting down, there was something in my spirit that was like, I'd been here for about a year and I just, I wanted to move on to something different. Um, again, I was working customer service. So I was on the front lines and I love this idea of making someone's day. Um, so I knew I wanted to kind of stick with that. I've always been into serving others and being able to help communities. Um, but I said, you know, I, I want to do something different. I need to see something different. I'd been in LA all my life. Um, and it brought me back to when I was at Pepperdine, um, in 2012, I did a Washington DC internship and I was obsessed with DC. One, the Metro is amazing. Um, you can get to three different places, three different States, territories in 30 minutes it blew my mind. Um, but also seeing people of color, seeing black people in suits with their swag, like going to, to important meetings and jobs, that really affected me. Um, I interned for the House of Representatives, um, funny enough for someone who was a Republican office. So it was a different vibe, but being able to see black people in Congress doing big things stuck with me. So I knew I wanted to come back to DC. So after I'd been in that job for about a year, um, I ended up buying a one way to DC because I was like, forget it. Like, who cares? Like, let's just go. If I hate it, I can just come back home. But if not, I'm able to start a new life. And so I bought the ticket maybe a week before I was told we were going to be laid off. So I was like, okay, stars all aligning. Um, so that was a really blessed experience. So for that one, I was laid off. Um, I'd say my first big job in DC was in healthcare and the office was closing down. So I either had to move to Baltimore or find another place to work. Um, and then the job after that, I was also laid off. Um, oh, so I was like, is there something going on with me? Like what's happening? What is, what, what are these triggers? Um, so for me, it's been a bit more by force, um, but it's also been enlightening to know that when things were looming and, you know, things were transitioning out. I had something in my spirit that said, okay, like you've learned enough here. You've worked enough in this area. Where can you hop on to next? And it just seems like the universe was like, all right, it's time to move on. Um, but I think that's when I really embraced that it's okay to not be somewhere for 
five plus years and to still get experience. Um, you know, that might be a bit different for like the more corporate environment, but the environments that I was working in, um, they loved that I had all this industry knowledge. Um, I've worked, like I said, in dry cleaning and laundry. I've worked in business travel, worked in workforce development. I've worked in beauty. I've seen so many different customers, so many different um, relationships and reactions, how um, different industries operate, how they put together policies and procedures that um, for me as a learner is invaluable. Um, and for other companies, I can tell as well that it's uh, been able to give me um, a one-up on the typical. I think that is really cool. And one thing, um, it, and it's interesting, you kind of use these experience from all these different industries, and now you're able to be in a position where, you, one, you work for yourself, but you're also able to speak to basically anyone about the customer experience mm -hmm. and operations because you have all those years of um, experience in different types of environments. I think that's really cool. But um, what, um, and I believe um, you mentioned this, like when we met earlier this year, um, a couple of months ago, you were mentioning that this year has been an interesting, pivotal time in your entrepreneurial journey. And uh, one question I'd like to ask everyone, because this year has been just crazy in general, and there's mm -hmm. been a lot of losses, but I think for some of these things, we could really look at them as lessons instead of losses. So I'm curious, like, what are some of your 2020 wins and losses? Yeah, so Rona has definitely changed up the plan for a lot of things. Um, so for me, it's easier to think in like quarters and chunks versus month to month, because who even knows what those are anymore? <laughs> um, so I'd say um, for the first quarter of the year, for me, it was really liberation. Um, I say that because I left my full-time job, um, in mid-February and I took off the time not having my next venture in place, but really leaving it as a space to create and to figure out, okay, Alana, you have X amount of savings. Um, take this time to figure out what you want your next move to be. Um, that could be entrepreneurship that could be working for someone else. You could just take this time off to like write and create and draw and whatever else you want to do. But I knew I needed that time for me. Um, and I was walking for, away from a situation that no longer served me and no longer served my spirit. Um, so I'd say that was very liberating for me, just saying, this is the pause that I need. Um, I think Q2 for me was really um, processing change because at that time, you know, we knew it wasn't going to be a two-week quarantine anymore. We knew that the, the virus was here to stay for the foreseeable future. Um, so I ended up moving from DC to Richmond, Virginia during that time. Um, I also was processing leaving a full-time job to doing my own thing and, and, and working for myself. Um, I was also processing um, what to do with a project that I was working on earlier this year that um, now decided to sunset. So I was, I was dealing with lots of loss in different ways and understanding how to process, you know, I'm not able to see my friends as frequently anymore because I've moved and there's a virus going on. What does this virus mean for my community that it's disproportionately affecting? What does this mean because you don't have a, a, a job anymore, Lana? So it was me processing a lot of um, changes and I'd say Q3 was me really realizing, all right, it's time to create. It's time to take all of these changes think about them, process them, and now it's time to create. And that's when um, I really formed Kit Strategies, which is my customer experience consultancy. 
Um, and out of all of that confusion came, Alana, you know what a buyer's journey should be like. You know how someone is supposed to feel when they're interacting with a company. So why try to seek that somewhere else? Why not just create it for yourself? Um, and that's where that was born. And also um, just forgiving myself for taking the time to be able to do that too and giving myself grace on um, you're not taking the traditional path and that's okay and good for you for doing that. Um, and I'd say in this Q4, I'm really embracing um, maturity in myself and maturity in the path that I've taken. So um, I'm really focusing on my mindset right now, ridding myself of any um, energy, any feelings that don't serve the, the, the blessing that is what I'm creating. Um, I'm really big on curating, like I said, my space. So um, that means physically like where I'm working, but also just um, mentally the type of thoughts and ideas and um, scenarios I invite into my mind. I am only on a track of greatness. I'm on a track of, I am very capable, I'm very able, and I'm very deserving of what I'm creating for myself. So allowing myself to feel good about what I'm, what I'm putting out in the universe um, is how I want to end this year. And that's how I want to enter next year is open to receiving blessings and open to receiving goodness from the works that I'm doing. I love that. Hmm. Yeah. Is, so how are you able to continue like say these things to yourself? Cause I think that, um, like you were mentioning before, just in like the job search itself, you could oftentimes kind of self, like there's a lot of self doubt there. And I think it's really stepping into, um, becoming an entrepreneur saying like, okay, I'm done with this job. Now it's time to really go all in on creating something for myself. And I love that you share like creating your space and kind of, these are the things that you're saying to yourself. Um, how I, does it come easy for you to continue to um, be your own kind of hype man and cheerleader if you're feeling any type of insecurities in this entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, it's it's an active process. Every morning I have to wake up with that mindset of, Alana, you're it. You're crushing it. You're doing great. You're everything. I have to physically speak to myself, excuse me, verbally speak to myself throughout the day, whether it be aloud or in my head that um, I'm doing such a great job. Um, but also it's, it's really important for entrepreneurs to have that team, that circle of trust where it's not people who are just your, your yes man or yes woman, but people who are willing to give you feedback, but, but always it's out of love. Um, so I found that, that those folks for me, um, whether it be my partner who gives me encouragement or the women that I have in my life who are also on their entrepreneurial journeys, who, you know, we have our accountability check-ins and those text messages of queen, like you have it today. This is yours. It's yours for the taking. Um, so for me, um, if folks, if you're not talking to yourself, please, please, please talk to yourself. Um, when I had my solo apartment, I wrote um, scripture on the mirror or queen, you've got this or show up how you need to. I, I was always, I was the first thing that I was seeing was I'm so empowered. Um, so I carry that on today. Talk to yourself and make sure you have people who you trust that are talking to you as well and giving you the real, because that's how you're going to survive this journey. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, but if you have those two components, you're really unstoppable. It's all about your mental game. I 
love that. Yeah, you just reminded me. I know I've written down on the notepad, like, you are enough. And I think just having mm. one the act of writing something down, whether it's on what you want to manifest or kind of the uh, mantras you tell yourself, the act of writing it does something, like, it makes it real, but then be able to see it every day and see that you wrote it. It's like you're telling yourself, so like you believe in yourself. I mean, that's really big. And definitely encourage every, whether you're an entrepreneur, employee, just anyone, if you're a person, <laughs> these are some things you need to start doing. Yes, you are your biggest hype man because we are the ones to shame ourselves the most and we give ourselves the least grace. Um, so I'm always, I'm always, always, always a hype man for myself. You have to love yourself. Love that. Now, um, in regards to the kit strategies, like um, who is a type of person or company that you would um, you would want to come either work with or you want to approach you? Mm -hmm. um, so all small business owners, um, whether you are just now starting out in your journey or you've been in business for a while, I want to work with you. Um, and I, and for me, customer experience um, shouldn't be a luxury like it is. Um, when you see customer experience or customer success roles, you see them at larger companies who are making millions in revenue, right? Um, whereas you have small business owners who are doing it all themselves. And that's really where I um, conceive the idea of KIT. It stands for keeping it together. And I say that for entrepreneurs because we are the back office, the front office, the customer service rep, the accountant, the everything else on top of being a visionary for what we want to do. Um, so my biggest goal with this consultancy is bringing access to great buying experiences and great customer service to businesses who may not always have the luxury to keep that in the forefront and be proactive when it comes to that type of strategy. Um, I'd particularly love to work with um, Black business owners because there's a stigma with Black business that Black business is bad business. They're going to be funky and that's just how you know we operate which is so false um so for me to be able to just up help them level up what they're already doing very well um is a passion of mine it's all about access in this world and if i can share you know my experience from all these different industries and what i've seen the big players what, what's worked for them if i can bring that back to our community um again that's fulfilling for me love that I love that a lot. Um, I want to shout out Corey Bourne, Urban Atlanta, because um, they created a space for Black professionals and solo entrepreneurs to come together. And like yesterday on the networking call, he was talking about how most of the time, like there's so many different small businesses out there, and most of us are solopreneurs. And we yeah. don't have the resources of these bigger companies. And I think a lot of times we kind of look at that, like the resources they don't have as kind of the reasons why we don't want to work with them. But like, as you're saying, mm -hmm. you know, you know, we, uh, yeah, the resources aren't there, their knowledge or expertise, but you actually decided to provide that solution. Instead of just talking about the problem, you're like, okay, well, here's a solution to that. And I'd love to work with you to implement it because that's what it's all about. And that was actually the reason when we met on that networking call, that I was like, oh no, I yeah. definitely have to speak with Alana because that's something yeah. we don't hear enough about. Um, also, want to shout out Christina Joy, who's on um, an earlier episode, because that's part of what she does in D.C. area, actually, helping Black businesses and their customer experience and promoting a more positive image. So I love that you're doing that, like not just focusing on the problem, but saying, hey, here's a solution, and it's not that uh, crazy 
to implement. Yeah, and I think there's something so powerful about Black business owners because of our culture. Our culture is so embracing and warm. And you know, when you're walking down the street, you give the head nod and, and it's family everywhere. And um, to be able to share that with other cultures, like when you come into a black business, the first thing you think of is, I know I'm gonna be treated like family. Like that's what we should be thinking when we're shopping black versus, all right, it's gonna be another experience, but no, we have so much to offer. There's so much warmth, there's so much culture and um, resilience and history there. Um, that's what we need to be known for. I love that. Absolutely yeah. right. All right. So um, I want to kind of transition back to your natural mm -hmm. hair journey. And I know we already talked about it and kind of what led you towards it. But um, I, I think you said some really amazing thing about legacy and hair. But I'm curious, um, what would be um, what's something that you wish people understood about natural hair? Mm. I think I I would love for this idea that it's unmanageable and it's not presentable to be demolished completely. Um, I the bigger the hair, the better to me now. But if you would have asked me, you know, several years ago, I would have been like, okay, if I have just a little bit of frizz or volume in my hair, I'm not into it. I need it to be straight and laid down because that was what was presentable to others. To me now, if my if these curls aren't very large, I'm like, uh -uh, I can't go out today. I'm gonna put on a hat because my um, <laughs> that's not popping enough for me. Um, so I would love for this idea that um, natural hair is something that needs to be managed um, to go away. Because if anything, it just needs to be catered to. And you do that by understanding your products and understanding um, your hair pattern and what you need to do. It's never about managing something, but enhancing the beauty that's already there. Love that. Love that. Now, yeah. um, and another question I'd like to ask everyone is, um, do you consider your hair a hairstyle or a lifestyle? Hmm. Every outfit occasion rotates around the hair. So it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I won't wear certain things if I have my pom-poms in versus if I have my twist out. So. She runs it and I just follow. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. I know um, oftentimes when I speak to people with locks and I just know this from my own journey, like I've learned that my hair, like I could have an idea how I want to style it or something like that, but the way it grows and how it looks, it's really like a life yeah. of its own. Like nah, it, it, your hair really is in charge and just affects everything else as well. So yeah, I think yep. that's so real. Oh, real. Yeah, we just have to, and especially... In the quarantine, I mean, I cannot tell you how much I've embraced individual braids. That's what gives us this beautiful curl pattern you're seeing today. I put in my individuals. I have about 12 to 14 that are constantly in rotation. So um, I'd say the quarantine has even allowed me to try styles that I typically wouldn't try if we were just everything back to normal. So experiment. Experiment with your hair right now. Why not? Why not? That's right. All right. So... um. Yeah. I know that you have to go soon. So two quick questions on one, where can yeah. everyone find you? LinkedIn is the best place for me. Um, I don't want to associate myself with any particular company or opportunity at the moment. You can associate Alana with Alana. So please connect with me on LinkedIn so we can chat about all the things I'm here to support us um, in any way that I can. 
I love that. And you know what? We need to start uh, promoting LinkedIn more. We always talk about Instagram or Twitter, but LinkedIn, there's a lot of um, great tools for just networking, career growth, entrepreneurship all together on LinkedIn. It's like a whole new type of social platform, and we need to start putting some more energy there. So I like that. Yeah. And it's, and, and like you said, a lot of people aren't networking enough on LinkedIn. And when I say networking, I mean, posting your own content, that is an undiscovered space. Instagram is saturated. Facebook is saturated. We need to get on LinkedIn and we need to define what that can be used for. So let's do it. That's right. That's right. And, um, one last question for you um, before we go. Is there, and it's really easy too. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on uh, before we go? Yes. Um, And this is specifically for us, for our community. Um, Buying Black has to be a movement. Um, So as Buying Black is popular right now, I hope that for us, we continue to think of it as a mindset shift. Um, Supporting one-off purchases isn't going to do the trick. Really understanding where we buy, where we source from, and what's incorporated into our routine and our habit. Um, that is what's going to create generational wealth for us. So as much as possible, think about those touch points of where you're buying and how you can incorporate a Black entrepreneur, a Black business owner um, into that routine so we can really make this movement happen. It doesn't stop when, you know, the protests stop. I just want money in the bank. Have no time for them. We just pray and say amen. All right, that is a wrap. You know, thank you all for listening to Boss Locks, a show where we are redefining professionalism, elevating black voices, improving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, we're back to every Tuesday putting out some incredible stories from black leaders, and I can't wait to share the next one that's coming up. Now, um, you can stay tuned and plugged into everything that we're doing by going to bosslocks.org. Make sure you're signed up to the mailing list. Uh, check out our Patreon page and make sure you're supporting and get access to some new things coming up. And of course, make sure you are following or tuned in to Working While well Black. Right now, it's a Facebook group, but we're about to bring it to LinkedIn and shake up that professional world. So, um, I'm excited and nervous, but it's going to be great either way. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your support. You continued listening. I love getting the messages from all of y'all. And um, also, you know, I, I have a lot to announce, but I'm going to cut it right here. Um, <laughs> thank you all once again. Tune in next Tuesday. And for my email newsletter subscribers, y'all going to get a, um, a uh, surprise message pretty soon. So thank you all for tuning in and I'll speak to you soon.